This is Shack Talk, presented by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear and hosted by Kyle Agri and Anthony Kleinwachter. Turn up your speakers, grab your gear, and hit the ice with us as we talk ice fishing. Come on in and grab a bucket. We are talking ice fishing. Kyle Agri and Anthony Kleinwachter, we are your hosts, and this is Shack Talk Ice Fishing Podcast. Brought to you by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear. Anthony, we are here at that point of the season where ice is deteriorating, it's melting, it's disappearing. Unfortunately, you know, the the joy and the excitement and the anticipation of the, the hard water season is is something that we all love. It comes, we, we work like crazy to to get that extra time and make that extra time to get out on the ice as often as we can. We always get to this point in the season, right? Where that there's that little bit of disappointment where we're kind of saying it's been a great season, but man, I wish I would have gotten out one more time. Are you there? Or, you know, maybe, maybe you've got a time or two left, but nonetheless, we, we see that not too far off in the distant future. I kind of feel a little cheated, honestly, like mother nature, she was, you know, unkind. She didn't give us that cold. Then all of a sudden she gave us a ton of cold and now she's just taking it away too fast. I mean, we've seen the conditions around here anyway, go from pretty solid ice being able to drive out and within a matter of a week or so deteriorate to the point where it's basically only safe to walk, maybe ATV or snowmobile. But yeah, it's, it's gone fast. I feel a little jaded that I didn't get that one last, you know, panfish trip in there or you know, I did just get up to Lake of the Woods and they'll maybe have ice for a little bit longer. I, I really wish we could sneak across the border and enjoy the extended season that some of our Canadian friends have. I know that was always one of yours and my last trips of the season. It's, I don't know, it's been, a, it's been an interesting end to the season for sure. Um, sure just wish we could get over into Canada. I do too, Anthony. I'm, I'm so hopeful that next season we're going to be in a place where we can go on up there and fish side by side, shoulder to shoulder with our Canadian friends and, and enjoy the resource that they have to offer. And and for that matter, even do it at home in a more open kind of social setting. I know a lot of folks went out with family. A lot of folks went out with close friends. But we always had in the back of our mind this year, even if we were out there with other people, there still is kind of that cloud, you know, this whole pandemic stuff. And, and we talked a lot about it with social fish dancing this year and kind of made light of it and, and made the best of it. And we always do that, right? We always make the best of our situation. But I'm really hopeful that next year is going to bring about some great, great opportunities to to maybe be a little, feeling a little bit more like normal, like we have in years past. And that's going to include fishing with, uh, with our friends up in Canada. And, you know, you talk about the end of this ice season and things were rolling along. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, our, our buddy Randon Olson said, I see in the forecast that, you know, Minnesota is going to have 60s by mid-March. And I, I straight up told him, you are crazy, man. There's no way. We just came out of this 35 below deep freeze, you know, Arctic blast. And and things were back into kind of seasonally appropriate temperatures. And he's saying, and, and you know, this was the end of February. In another two and a half weeks, it's going to be 60 degrees. Well, guess what? He nailed it. <laughs> he was spot on. I think I think he might have found his second career. He could be a weatherman because he's much more accurate than uh, a lot of those forecasters. 
I did manage to get out last weekend a couple of times. Made it out Thursday chasing some tulabies with uh, with Randon and and Scott Brewer, and then uh, made it out Sunday with my wife. We drove the truck out on a lake we had been driving out, plenty of ice, and and you know it was still safe when we went off, but just watching from six a.m. until three p.m. kind of the the course of that day going from good solid ice that we could drill through. It was hard. The snow had melted on top, but it was just really solid. To the end of the day, that sun was beating down. You could have been sitting out there in a Hawaiian shirt and shorts. I mean, for as nice as it was, Anthony, it was just beautiful. And hole hopping, we didn't even need to get the auger out, right? You just walk around to all the holes that were already there that were already open and start fishing and and driving off. You know, the the, the ice was becoming porous. When you, when you would drill a hole, if you did take the auger out, it would come up in, in little shards and pieces. Those are all sure signs that the end is near. I don't know if I'll get out on the ice again or not, but uh, I'm hoping to hoping to squeeze one more walkout trip. How about you? Yeah, I'm hoping to get in one more trip. Um, last week, we were supposed to go to Fort Peck, Montana. Uh, we had been planning that trip for most of the winter, waiting for them to get solid ice. Then we hit the deep freeze things froze over, but as soon as it got cold and warmed right back up out there. And I mean, they didn't get very much ice. I think they had, you know, 12 to 14 inches on the main lake and that, that ice sheet being that thin, as soon as those winds came up, they had, you know, 50 to 60 mile an hour winds a couple of days out there. And it was just a big uh, ping pong ball out there. That main sheet was moving around and creating a lot of cracks and heaves and pressure ridges. And so once it warmed up, um, it created for a lot of unsafe conditions. Um, we had people that we knew out there fishing and the day before we were supposed to head out there, they, they told us, you know, we really don't think that it's safe. It's, it's possible, but we made the difficult decision to cancel our plans to head out there and went up to Lake of the Woods. And uh, I think it was a pretty, pretty stellar plan B for us. We got into some uh, awesome fishing, uh, Mike and the guys we've been talking about targeting trophy pike all winter. And uh, we had a really good time up there. Anthony, just going back to what you said, making the choice to cancel a trip you'd been planning and looking forward to all season. As outdoorsmen, as outdoor enthusiasts, ultimately we're all going to come across that scenario at some point in time, right? Whether it's ice fishing, whether it's hunting, whether it's open water, things happen, things we can't foresee, things we can't control. It's not an easy process, is it? But, you know, ultimately safety has to prevail. Yeah, it was a difficult decision. We all really wanted to get out there and we all feel pretty comfortable navigating and traveling on ice conditions that are marginal. You know, I, I wouldn't want to say unsafe, but you have to take your precautions. But, you know, being nine hours away from home and, you know, traveling that far and you know, putting that much time and investment into it, we decided to, to play it safe. And I think we made the right call. Um, Part of me still wishes we would have got out there and chased after some of those lake trout, but they'll be there for us. Um, they'll be there for us next winter. We're actually planning a trip to maybe go out there in the boats and target them as well. So hoping that that happens and we can take advantage of that opportunity. So like you said, turning turning lemons into lemonade and uh, making something of it. But yeah, it's, it's always about planning and moving and uh, just dealing with adversity. And Anthony, we are going to talk with Clayton Schick later in the podcast. He's going to be one of our guests. We're going to talk Trophy Pike. 
So I don't want to let totally let the cat out of the bag, but just give us a little taste about your experience on that trip to Lake of the Woods. Because you guys, it might have been a plan B, but I don't know that you could have made a plan A turn out any better. Yeah, Lake of the Woods, um, I've been going up there for almost as long as I can remember in March targeting big pike. So it's something that I really enjoy, have a lot of experience. And going up there, um, we knew it was a little early. You know, they haven't really pushed completely into the shallows, but they're they're kind of staging in some of those staging areas. So just a little bit deeper off some of the structure and different pieces of uh, structure that are up in Lake of the Woods. And obviously we've got a good friend of ours that's up there. He does some guiding and he pointed us to an area where he'd been seeing or catching some pike. And I mean, no sooner than we set up, I don't think we had been set up an hour. We started getting flags and started catching fish. So it was one of those things where we kind of just had to, to hone in on the presentation and the areas that were producing the best and, you know, we camped and we did venture to some different places to try a few different things and kind of ended up just coming back to the same spot and had a really great time up there um, catching fish. And honestly, probably one of the best four days of pike fishing that I've had for, for quality of fish, multiple fish, you know, that would be considered a trophy caliber and, and several over that magical, you know, 40 inch mark that a lot of people aim as a kind of a benchmark for that really trophy caliber fish. One fish over 40 would be, I mean, that would make the trip, right? That would be the the check on the box. That would be the, you know, we've done it. And right. you did it a couple times. Yeah. Um, I know Thor, our camera guy, he broke his personal best four times in four consecutive fish. I think he went like 37, 39, 40, 41 on four consecutive fish. So it was quite the quite the trip for him and, and all the guys on the staff. We all caught some really nice fish, so it was a fun time. That sounds like an absolute blast. And uh, talk about making lemonade out of lemons. You said that before, but that is truly what you have to do sometimes in the outdoors. You take a situation, you take a, a, a decision that had to be made based on conditions and reports. You make the decision, you look at other options, you choose and you go forward and you you make the best of it. And it turns out, I mean, what an awesome scenario to be able to, to put a cap uh, on one of the last, may not be the last, but one of the last trips of the season. And, and uh, I know you guys just released uh, fish addictions TV show on, on YouTube here the other night. And uh, you featured that trip and some of the fish that you caught. Yeah. So if you haven't uh, go check it out, um, it's out on YouTube and it'll be out on some other streaming platforms as well. But yeah, one of those trips that uh, we we won't soon forget just because of the the group that we were with, um, camping in the in the fish house and uh, having a lot of shack talk time in there, uh, telling stories and just having fun. So it really was a great way. If if I don't get out on the ice again this season, it'll be a, a great way to end the season. I'm still kind of selfishly hoping that I can sneak out one more time. Um, to get out uh, and chase the fish a little bit. But if I don't, it'll be a good way to end it um, for sure. You know, and talk about ending our season, Anthony. Reluctantly, reluctantly, we're going to end our Shag Talk season with this episode. This is episode nine of this past ice season. Just given the current conditions, the current weather, the current status of the fishery, um, border closures and everything else, this is going to be our last segment uh, our last episode of the year. I just am so happy of how this past season has gone. We've had some great guests, some great episodes, some great information, some great shack talk. 
That's what it's about. It's about sharing those moments with our listeners, with our guests, and coming away with some memories and some information that can help us help us put a few more fish on the ice. You know, ultimately, that's a pretty cool thing, too, to be able to put a few more fish on the ice, become a better angler, and understand what we're doing out there as we, uh, as we hit the hard water. We'll be off for the summer, the spring and summer. We're going to be back at it next fall. And, of course, we always try and get a jump on, on the season. Um, start talking ice fishing before the ice show season starts, before first ice is here. So we kind of slip that uh, that season debut in, Anthony, between, you know, when most Midwestern uh, deer rifle seasons kind of are, are a little bit past us. Maybe some are still open, but a little bit past. And uh, at least that opener is past us. And folks have maybe started to turn their head a little bit and look towards first ice. We'll be there. We'll be talking ice fishing. We'll be talking all things fun. Even though it's going to be our last episode, it's not. We're not going down with uh, with a slow fade here, are we, Anthony? We've got a pretty good lineup today. Yeah, absolutely. We, as you mentioned, we've got a, a guest talking pike fishing. Uh, one of our friends from up across the border, and actually going to have another guest, um, Giannis Mutelis from the Meat Eater Crew. They did the Fur Hat Ice Tour, and we're really excited to talk to him, uh, get his feedback and insight from how that all went and, you know, if they have something else in the works, I know they, uh, they had a really good time uh, filming that series and a lot of great feedback from Matt. So looking forward to talking to him, um, talking to our other guests and wrapping up the season. And just because we're wrapping up doesn't mean that Kyle and I aren't already thinking about next season. We're uh, working on guests and we'll be continuing to do so throughout the spring and summer. So if you have anyone that you'd like to see us talk to or interview or topics that you'd love to hear us talk about, Make sure to send them over. We're always looking to do some planning and get things underway. So um, just make sure to stick around. We'll be um, back with uh, our first segment in just a short little bit here. So don't go away. Welcome to our next segment of Shack Talk. We are going to dive into another species-driven topic. I know we've covered a lot of different species this season, and one of them that's really becoming kind of highlight of the season for us now as we kind of turn the page on late ice is, is big trophy northern pike. I know myself, I'm one of those guys that loves to get out there, chase the flags, and have fun chasing them. And, and Kyle and I were really racking our brains on who's the biggest pike guru or nut out there that we could get on shack talk and, and really talk pike and, and really pick their brain and learn some stuff. So lucky for us, we are joined on shack talk today by the one and only Clayton Schick. Uh, you might know him from Clayton Schick outdoors, YouTube content creator. Um, he's been a big pike guide for many years and uh, we want to welcome him to the podcast. Welcome. Uh, thanks for joining us, Clayton. I appreciate you guys having me for sure. It's uh, I listen to all your segments all the time there, so it's kind of cool to be on this end of it. And it's going to be funny watching the segment back or listening to the segment later and listening to myself talk. So thank you guys for having me for sure. Absolutely. For our listeners that maybe you know live under a rock and don't know who Clayton Schick is, maybe just take a second to tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, you know why we called upon you to maybe share some information on pike fishing. For sure, like uh, like Anthony says, my name is Clayton Schick. I've uh, I'm a I'm a 38 year old guy from Canada, Saskatchewan. I've basically lived and breathed fishing my whole life. 
I've have uh, 18 years experience guiding Northern Pike in some of the best waters in uh, North America. And the last couple of years, I've been doing my own YouTube channel, like Anthony said, Clayton Schick Outdoors. And I've just been kind of broaden, broadening my whole spectrum in that in terms of different species, walleye, lake trout. And I've been really getting into the pike hardcore here in the, the wintertime now, too. So just a dude that likes to fish a lot. Clayton, I tell you what, it is so much fun watching your videos. It's so much fun watching your adventures out there on the ice. And and all year long, really. I mean, this is not just an ice fishing thing. You you're at it continually throughout the calendar year. What brought you to jumping into uh, creating your own videos when you started that after being a guide for a number of years? Totally. Um, I I still guide if I can. Right now, COVID's kind of restricted that whole thing. So I had plans to go back up to Wollaston to guide last summer. And with the borders being closed, that was not a possibility. So this past year was like the first year where I, I pushed the media hardcore and did it full time for a year. But I've always been interested in the whole media side of it for a lot of a lot of years already just helping teach people different aspects of fishing help teach you people how to take care of the fish properly for the most part it's one thing that i really focus on but i've always had just kind of some interest in being on the side of the camera showing people how it's done a little bit so i started my own youtube channel probably about three or four years ago now and this last like year and a half is where i finally started to push it more serious so it's just something I've always been passionate about and showing people what, what I get to see every day in my eyes. Are we going to continue to be able to get you on video as time goes on and guiding takes up more and more of your time into, uh, into the, you know, the post COVID era as we move into that? The, the winter stuff is going to be there forever the the fishing that i do for guiding is just in the summer months of june july and august so there could come a time where some of the videos might fall off for those three months for a little bit but i still have plans to do may fishing and then fall fishing in september and august and october there as well those three months obviously i didn't say them in the right order but you know those three months i'll still try to do some videos up north at some point that i can in the whole guiding aspect of it youtube's definitely been something that's big for me now that i want to continue doing it so there's no no sign of any video stopping in the the near future for sure that's great news as you talked a little bit about the guiding season up at wollaston Walk us through that a little bit. Obviously, you mentioned targeting uh, big pike. Where do you guys usually start your season? Is that still something where you're just getting out um, kind of post ice out and those fish are starting the stage for the spawn? Walk us through kind of how you target them throughout the season up there. Yeah, when we when we first get up to Wallace and our season usually starts around that beginning of June period. And we're usually at like first ice out up there obviously you know down south you guys have had ice out for quite a while but I just have I've had years up there where it's June 10th and I'm dodging icebergs on the big lake to get into the shallow bays so we're we're already targeting the pike during their post spawn period so at least we're not in there putting a big beat down on them when they're already or when they're during their spawn process so it is a post spawn period and then it progresses into a summer uh, pattern and then we're also up there for some of the fall pattern which is some of the best fish in my eyes because the pike just put on a lot of weight at that point and they start getting aggressive and you can use big baits for them so it's we got to i got to see them in their whole their kind of their whole transition from post spawn all the way to fall time when you talked about the spawn where i know you talked mentioned the, the bays and stuff where you're fishing them what are those pike really looking for when they're going into those bays to spawn the 
you know, the I always say it's this, for example. So right after their spawn time, uh, the females will go into the deeper water where they're going to start to feed more heavily and get all of their energy back and try to just kind of regroup after their spawn. What they'll do then after that is when they eat a meal, they'll go into the shallower bays where they were spawning before, and it's only because that bay is at the warmest temperatures where it's going to help them digest faster. So those pike actually aren't in those shallow bays to eat a bait at that point or eat any meal. I know a lot of times when you go into those bays to fish, you don't see any signs of bait fish around, nothing like that. So those pike are there to basically just digest a meal. But like and like any of us, when you go have a big meal at the end of the day and somebody's like, are you, are you full? And you're like, yeah. And I was like, well, how about this brownie? How about a little dessert? And they're like, yeah, I can't resist that, right? Bang, they'll nail it. So it's just like a free meal, an opportunist. And that's why a lot of times earlier in the season, you're using a lot of smaller baits. The males, though, on the other hand, they're there for an entirely different reason. The males are still in all those shallower bays because they still have the spawn on their mind. They're still thinking, getting lucky at that point, just like how we do at a bar sometime right hanging on to that last end type of thing so a early season there those pikes seem to mix and mingle a lot because of the the shallow water and the warm water but they're there for two different reasons entirely that is very interesting and and so you see that that ice out period that right immediate post spawn and then you talked about summer patterns what are some of the patterns you're seeing up there for these pike where do they go after they leave that post-spawn period? The the pike after the post-spawn period, like I said, they're going into the deeper water to feed for the most part. But then it gets to that, the old saying that in July where everybody's like, pike lose their teeth and they don't eat anymore. It's just that they can be kind of anywhere. All of the water starts to uniform at the same temperature. So they can, they can digest just as fast in 10 feet of water as they can in two feet of water. All of that water is the same temperature. So honestly, they can be anywhere so then you try to start to target in the higher transition or higher possible areas like uh, choke points shoreline something like that that can conjugate fish it could be a rock hump it could be a many different things right that's that's more of an experiencing of finding them after there's no like one thing that you can say okay this is where you're going to find pike all the time in the summer periods honestly every lake's built differently they could be anywhere for that mat for that matter and it's just about experience putting time in that water and figuring out their patterns of where they are on there so and then obviously it gets into an entirely different aspect later in the year where we're from into august where they'll start to transition more into weeds and that's just because there's a pile of oxygen being put off by those fresh green cabbage weeds and that's bringing in insects which brings in the bait fish which then again brings in the pike for that matter so once that spring that post-spawn fishing ends honestly they can be almost anywhere like anywhere i i know sometimes i've caught pike in 20 30 feet of water jigging for walleye and all of a sudden pike show up so it's they can be anywhere later in the year just experience i think that's a really great point and, and talking a little bit about the weeds i know in kind of the, the state's area where we fish, you know, once those pike have spawned and, you know, our seasons open up down here, I know weeds becomes a key area for us that we're really focusing on. Like you said, that's where the, the buffet is, where all the bait and all the other fish are at. And so the pike are definitely hanging out or somewhere in that area. As you look towards fall, you know, those fish are transitioning again. Where are you looking for pike? And, you know, is that something that you utilize to target where they might be in the winter? Yeah, that, that fall time can get kind of, it, it can be great fishing. And once once those weeds start to die, though, that's when pike can get super tough. 
And that will lead you into a winter where maybe that first part of your winter can be very, really tough. But like last fall, or not last fall, but later in the fall, like right after all the weeds die, we start to fish a lot of rocky shorelines, rock humps, stuff like that, right? They'll transition off of those weeds because uh, when they when those weeds do start to die, they're not giving off of any of the oxygen anymore, right? It's th- it's decaying. It's, it's actually less oxygen in the water. So they're more likely to not be there at all. Like brown weeds for the most part are, are usually pretty bad obviously some of the weeds will will continue to grow through the whole year and even into early ice fishing season so if you can find those weeds that are that good quality still like at at last fall and fish those weeds at first ice when it when it starts to freeze over yet and they're still green leaf weeds they can still be a a great place to start where you kind of left off in the fall but for the most part you know, the last day of fishing in a boat where you caught those pike is usually a great place to start right at first ice for them. So one of the questions I've often wondered about when it comes to pike is, uh, you know, after the spawn, we get into open water, we get into the, as the water warms up and in through that, that fall and into early ice period. Are these pike segregating by size? Do, do the smaller pike have different behaviors than the real trophies that we might be targeting? Um, you know, you know what I'm saying, right? Some of those big girls, are they going you're, different places? You're bang on. Like I usually say to my guests that are in the boat in the, the summertime, it's like if you're casting towards shore and you're catching, you know, 15, 20, 25 inch pike, I'm like cast out the other side of the boat because the bigger girls are probably in the middle of the bay somewhere or the different area. A lot of that is, is true through the whole season after that post spawn period, where if you're catching small pike, usually the big pike aren't around. I'm not saying all the time, but if you get a big pike that's hungry, it'll eat a 25, 30 inch pike. No problem. Right? Like, like a pike will eat up to two thirds of its body size. So a 40 incher will, will go after a 25, 30 inch pike you know, so if if you have a big hungry pike in that area, you're not going to be catching a lot of small fish. And that goes all the way into the ice fishing season for that too. Like I'll give an example. We literally just got off the water today. We caught two fish, a 41 and a half and a 40 inch pike. We never caught a, another pike all day. And it's because we were on an area that had bigger fish in there. The smaller fish wanted nothing to do with it. So if you have a bunch of flags going, I know I'm jumping ahead of the conversation, but if you have, you have a bunch of flags going all day and they're all hammer handles, you're likely not going to catch a bigger pike. Not to say it can't happen, but you're probably not in the zone for the big fish. And that goes through the whole year. What is your next move, Clayton? If you're catching those smaller fish, and you said open water, you're gonna you're gonna t- maybe target deeper water. What about out on the ice? Are you looking at an adjacent area like you would in the open water, or are you gonna look for something completely different? Again, that'll totally depend on the bodies of water, but for the most part, you're looking for something different. Now, when I say all that at certain times of the day, maybe you'll have a pot of big fish cruise through, right? So if you do have like two hours of flags going like crazy and little pike and all of a sudden it stops, it might be worth sticking around a little bit because maybe there's a reason why there's those nothing going on anymore. Maybe the smaller fish moved out and now the big fish are going to kind of cruise in. So you can have areas that do hold big fish and small fish at different times of the day, right? They kind of take their turns throughout there. But what I'm looking for, for the most part, like in that aspect of areas that are going to hold a lot of big pike at this time of year, especially I'm talking into March here now is like big muddy flats, 
those pike are starting to cruise those big flats because the the bait fish are in there eating the insects out of the mud and now the big fish are coming by and it's almost like that pre-spawn thing already we've gone full 360 degrees here already those fish are starting to go back to those big shallow bays that you fished at open water season at you know first at right when the first ice when the ice first melted so it's it just becomes a full circle but i'm looking for big muddy flats at this time of year for sure when you're targeting these fish um whether it's in the open water early ice late ice um is there i know you're the king of prime time is there different times of day where you're looking for these fish do you utilize and follow some of the, the lunar charts and different things so what are you looking for when you're keying in on these fish um Every with pike, you can literally take every every moon chart, every sunrise, every sunset, and kind of throw it out the window because it almost feels like there's no pattern to them. I've had some of my best pike fishing days at between one and three o'clock in the worst possible moon phase, and um, just nothing going on. Right, and the next day, all of a sudden, it's like your prime time bites are are going to be it. Pike seems to just be they don't really listen to anybody's rhyme or reason in terms of they should be here. It should be, should be happening right now. Right. The only thing I've noticed with pike fishing, uh, especially for tip up fishing right now, this time of year is I've always done better on sunny days versus cloudy days. When it gets to that shallow water, I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe that the sun starts to penetrate through the ice and warm that mud and sand up a little bit below there. I don't know what it is, but I've always done better when the sun's out and Carter who was with me today noticed that it was cloudy and the sun started to peak. And I'm like, just wait, Carter. I'm like, sun's coming out. It's going to happen. And yeah, there all of a sudden a flag goes off. It's crazy how it works sometimes that aspect. That's really cool. Um, as we look at targeting fish through the ice, um, I know you talked about using tip ups and I know you've done a lot with uh, using the iFish pros and different things like that. What, um, what's your preferred way to target uh, pike through the ice? I, I prefer the whole iFish Pro thing just because I like to fight the pike on a rod and reel. I have nothing against a tip-up, and probably your standard tip-up is probably going to be a little bit more effective just because it can it just seems like the flag can kind of pop just a little bit easier and there's less resistance and the pike doesn't feel like it's picked anything up. That's, that's in the wintertime. The iFish Pros is definitely my the way I prefer to target it in my my most sought-after ways. Obviously, it's completely different when it comes to open water fishing. I'd rather not run any baits at all and kind of fish them artificially. artificially. So, But definitely the iFish Pro has been my favorite method to fish them for sure. What are you going to put on the hook on the business end of that outfit, Clayton, um, to target the biggest of the bigs when you're out chasing pike? You know, it's funny because everybody always assumes like big bait, big fish. So you see a lot of guys running 10 inch herring or 14 inch Cisco's and yeah, you are going to get some fish like that for sure. But I've noticed over the years, sometimes uh, a six or a seven inch Cisco, something smaller, especially when they're in, they're not fully ramped up in their pre-spawn mood yet. Sometimes that's a target. Everybody always assumes and myself included in the past that you have a tip up bait down there and like pike just like rush in and just hammer the bait. 
I can show you literally 10 fish over 40 inches in the last two weeks on underwater cameras where they're coming up to the bait and they're just like not sure. They're not sure. They smell it a little bit. They eye it up and then they open their mouth and they half taste it and they let go. And then finally it's like, okay, gulp and they go on, right? Sometimes a smaller meal in that aspect is way better. So for the most part, I'll usually run like two sizes. I'll run like a five or a six inch Cisco and then usually like a 10 inch herring. Now there's times where I feel like if it's on, I'm looking for a great big fish and maybe I want to get away from some of those smaller fish. I'm having some of those problems we talked about earlier where flags are going off. Yeah, I'll drop down or a 14 or a 16 inch Cisco, something like that. And you're looking at that point for like one bite and that's it that day. Here's a here's another question. This is just such great information. I am trying to, to soak it all in here. So last week I'm out tulipy fishing. You talk about Cisco's, right? So yeah. I'm out targeting Cisco's, 82 feet of water, clear lake. I'm pulling a fish up and I look down the hole and there's this log down there about two to three feet under the ice in 82 feet of water. Obviously he's there chasing what I'm assuming are those. Cisco's and tulabies that are out there is that an anomaly or or is that a fish that can be targeted no you're you're on to something there it's not something I've really exposed too much yet on YouTube and I probably will at, at one point but if you're out there and you are fishing for Cisco's in the deeper water try hanging your bait literally like a foot under the ice like I mean like tight to the ice 40 feet of water 80 feet of water doesn't matter hang it literally just below the ice you'd be surprised how often those big critters will cruise under that ice and especially if you're in an area where people are targeting a lot of ciscos and they're throwing fish back and the fish aren't surviving because maybe they have barotrauma issues and the cisco is floating up back to underneath the ice those pike have learned to key in on that and they are eating fish literally right under the ice so they're obviously it's not going to happen all the time but if you are fishing in that deeper water i would i would not hesitate to drop a bait and i'm talking like a foot below the ice that's interesting that's great and i think that's good advice for anybody listening i know myself and kyle you know we're from north dakota we can use four lines minnesota to put a tip up out when you're pan fishing or fishing for perch or walleyes, you know, and you're only using one rod or, you know, if you've got an extra line, it's amazing how you can, like you said, put that one big bait out or a bigger bait out and capitalize on that big fish that's targeting the fish that you're targeting. Totally. Yeah. It's just, they're just a different critter in that aspect. And it's always fun to hook into something that will like, that will really give you a good run, right? You know, it'll it'll make you feel after you're done, you're like, wow, like that was insane. So I think pike fishing is becoming more and more popular. And like you said, guys are, are putting those second and third lines out. In Canada, we can only run two lines. So I'm kind of jealous of your, your three, four lines that you can run because I could have quite the spread. And I think it is really important if you do have that many lines out, really experiment with your, your spreads too, right? That's when you can run four different style of baits or four different depths right and then once once one does start to go off lots and you can kind of move everything to that that depth that is working that day talked about try different depths maybe different depths of water but also different depths in terms of where you're placing the bait in the water column too i'm assuming totally totally and it's like another thing that gets looked over quite a bit is and i'm i'm bad for it. i don't do it enough but the old just taking your bait and lying it right down on the bottom, like literally flat on the bottom with a little bit of slack line, you'd be surprised how many fish eat stuff right off of the bottom. 
that was going to be my question is, you know, where are you positioning your bait in that water column, depending on how deep you're fishing? For the most part, I'm bringing it at least a foot to two foot feet off the bottom for the most part. And because my, my theory is that the pike's eyes are on the top of his head. So they're always looking up. They're not looking down. So if you're fishing something that's always below them, like if you are, I, I always go with when I'm in, in three, four feet of water, I tend to run a little bit higher because a pike can see up those four feet, no problem. Not that, like I said, I won't run a bait down lower, right right in the mud or something like that. But there's a lot of times they're probably just going to swim right by it, whereas they're always going to see that bait that's above them. I think that's a really good point. You do you target pike in the winter in deeper water than that, or are you typically waiting for the shallow water bite? I, I usually wait for the shallow water bite. I don't like to really target any fish beyond, like, besides maybe Cisco's, any fish beyond, like, that 30 feet. That's kind of my max for the most part, just because I don't want to deal with any barotrauma issues, and pike will suffer from barotrauma too. So I'll, ta- I'll usually wait for the shallower bite. I think if I targeted pike all year, I would fish a lot more of the, the transition in terms of drop-offs and run a tip up in 5 feet, 10 feet, 15 feet, 20 feet. But for the most part, I'm busy fi- fishing for walleye and lake trout and a bunch of other things. So I kind of have like a certain month always picked aside for each species. So I like to wait for the shallow water bite. Uh, for the most part, just because I can capture some of the best footage for underwater stuff, right? Like it's harder to capture good underwater footage in 30 feet of water, whereas in four feet of water, you can see everything. Factor fiction, Clayton, um, time to be a a myth buster here. Folks that talk about going out and targeting pike and using things like hot dogs for bait. Okay. Is that real? I've never done it. And only because I don't know how they digest it. I've heard, I've seen horrible pictures where there's like, they cut open a pike and there's like three hot dogs inside the pike stomach. So if that's from that day, that's fine, right? I don't know if they digest it or how it works. So I'm a very ethical angler in that sense. So if they are digesting the hot dogs, I've got no problem with it all, right? But you wouldn't put a a pop can down there and let them swallow it and eat it and into their stomach, right? Like I feel bad enough when I have to cut a hook off because they took something deep. So I've never done the whole hot dog thing and only for the fact that I don't know the full scientific thing behind it. Like I said, I've got no problem with it. I'd even try it if I knew that they were digesting it well. I just don't know. So for me, it's definitely a myth because I just don't want to go down that route. It brings up a good point too. And just in terms of how you are rigging up your lines, are you using a quick strike rig or using a single hook? What's your preferred method? I, I use a, a, a single treble hook. Now I think next year I'm going to start to play with the circle hook even just because there's even times with a single hook, right? They, they take it deep. My, my theory is get to it as soon as you can, as soon as they have that bait in their mouth and just hit them. It's like right away, right? Like don't, don't wait at all. And that's what the quick strike rig too. They're actually designed those double hooks. The way they're designed is so that they don't allow the bait to be swallowed, right? There's kind of a, a hook on both sides of their mouth and you almost capture a lot of the fish on the outside of their mouth in that aspect. So I, I try like to be as ethical as I can. Now, I'm not going to lie. I've had some pike that have taken a single hook deep, and I've had to cut cut the hook off, right, or cut the wire off, and you hope that they're going to survive with that aspect. But it's a, a pretty crappy feeling in that. So I think next year I'm going to play around with the whole circle hook thing more. I know uh, some guys that do do it, and as long as you can get a good hookup ratio, 
I think it would be a great thing if everybody could switch to it at some point for sure. Yeah, I really look forward to that. I know in the pike fishing that I've done, you like you said, you get that sick feeling when you got to cut an extra hook off and let them go because they've gotten it down into the back of their throat or into their stomach. And it's one of those things that happens, but I think that brings up a really good point too is, is having the proper tools for handling those fish. I know that's one thing that you really stress. Walk us through what you do when you get a big fish on, you get it in the hole. Totally. So a lot of times when I go pike fishing, we're kind of set up for the day. So we'll make what we call an ice well or a live well ahead of time. And that'll just be to deal with any of the pike that maybe do take a hook deeper, or if you do want to measure a fish or take any photos with it. So it's just like a, basically like a a four foot long hole in the ice. That's like eight, 10 inches wide that you can stick a pike in there and let them kind of chill out and deal with it. So what we do for the most part though, is when we go to the hole, I always have with me a long set of needle nose pliers, uh, jaw spreaders, which I don't use a lot, but sometimes you have to if they take a hook deep, and a pair of Nipex, Nipex, Nopex, I don't know how they pronounce it for sure, but that is just to cut any hooks if you have to. I think those three tools are so necessary when you go to the hole to deal with any pike for that sense. So basically what we'll do is when we catch the pike, I'll bring it up, I'll maybe show it off to the camera quick, and then I'll go to the live all with it, or I'll put it back into the water and take the hooks out right there. If it's colder out, I definitely like encourage people to have some kind of shelter set up where you can rush that pike into the shelter because those eyeballs will freeze so fast. And even though you may think you're really quick at taking out a hook out of a pike, I'm one of the fastest guys out there. I guarantee it. And even myself, it'll take me sometimes 15, 20 seconds to get a hook out. And then you add another 15, 20 seconds of measuring it or taking a photo with it. Everybody always thinks I got that fish in really fast, but I've actually... I've timed myself because I'll watch the cameras after and I'll be like, Ooh, Clayton. I'm like, that was 45 seconds yet. It felt like it was 20. So whatever times it feels like it took you it was probably double it for sure. So always for sure the proper tools, like I mentioned earlier, and then just go that extra mile of taking care of the fish in terms of a shelter or an ice. Well, if you want to catch a great big fish, if you want to catch a four foot pike, you got to take care of the 42 or the 43 inch pike, because those are the ones that are going to make it to be that big. That is such a great message, such great information. And I'm with you there because whatever species it is, if it's if it's cold out, and I mean, I mean, for sure if it's below zero on the Fahrenheit scale, those eyeballs, the fins, the gills can freeze in seconds. And and that's a de- that fish might swim away, but that's a death sentence for that fish later on. Totally it is. I always tell people, I'm like, just put your head in that hole and see how long you can hold your breath for or your eyes where they get super cold, right? Like, see how long it takes you because they're on our side of the world going, what is going on right now? And they just went through a hard fight. So they're super panicked in that thing. Their heart's pumping, which makes it even harder for them to probably breathe at that point. So just, yeah, just going the extra mile. And I think a lot of people are these days, they're, they're, they're seeing the whole, uh, how how beneficial it is for the catch and release and taking care of those fish and catching bigger and more fish. So it's something that I stress a lot. And maybe some people get tired of hearing on my videos. So you just have to though. Yeah. You have to take care of them. You know, while we're talking about conservation, because that is an important message for all of us as outdoor enthusiasts, as anglers, it's our responsibility to, to have those standards and, and to be able to do those practices that are going to continue the ability for for other people to enjoy this sport. 
but at the same time, it's okay to take a few fish to eat. And so do you eat pike? And if so, what, what are your kind of guidelines on size? <laughs> you know what, that, I'm glad you brought that up because this is something I don't talk about a lot and something I'm going to mention in videos in the future. I do eat pike and I love to eat pike. Normally for the most part, I'm looking somewhere between that 24 to 26 inch fish for the most part. But here's like another curveball at you. I'm looking for the males. Now, how can you tell the difference between a male and a female? Believe it or not, if you flip them over, and I'll be as PG about this as I can, but if you flip a pike over and you look at its butthole, if it's shaped as a, like a, a keyhole, that's a male. If the butthole is shaped like a pear, that's a female. So we go, we go an extra mile up at our lodge where we try to kill just males because obviously, you know, there's more of them and you don't need as many to grow or they're not going to grow as big as the big females in that aspect. So if you can go that extra mile and just take out the males out of the population, you're going to see your fishery excel and exceed at that point. So the, the only way I ever go past that rule is always selective harvest first in terms of a fish that maybe did get hooked deep and is bleeding bad. And I mean like really bad. I've caught pike where a gill is hanging out. They do survive. They're survivors. But if you have a fish that's bled an extreme amount and it is a mess, those are the ones to always harvest first. But if you're, you have all your fish and they're healthy, look towards the whole male thing. And if you search it on the internet between a male and a female anatomy, you'll see there's pictures in there how to tell the difference. I think that's really great information. And I, I agree with you. Pike is a very overlooked table fare species. I think it gets a bad rap for, you know, the sliminess, the bones, but once you know how to fillet it, take out those bones or know how to know how to prepare that fish. I agree with you. There's they're right up there with walleye, perch, panfish, everything uh, as far as fish to eat. Totally. I, I prefer them. They actually have that nice meat. That's like, it's, it doesn't flake apart as easy. It's a little bit, I, I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but the only time I won't eat a pike is maybe in when it's like comes out of really warm water in July or stuff, because, and that's any fish, they just get super mushy and gross. But like right now, the, the last ice, this is some of the best eating pike you'll have all year. We're talking Northern Pike with Clayton Schick, Clayton Schick Outdoors. And uh, this is just some great information. I love the conversation we're having. Clayton, we're talking about eating pike. We're talking about selective harvest, the ones we're going to take home and eat. Once you get it home, what's your favorite way to prepare it? It's really hard to beat a good old-fashioned deep fry with, uh, I use a, what's called a Frank's Red Hot Marinate. I'll just soak the pike in Frank's for like five, 10 minutes. And then right before it goes into the oil, I'll hit it with a bunch of flour. Now, actually, Jay's got me on his whole catch and cook thing. I don't, I, I left all my flour at home now when I go do it, but it's usually used to be flour for the most part, but Frank's red hot and now catch and cook with Jay's stuff. It's so good. That's, it's hard to beat that. And then nice hot oil, put it in there, crisp it up. It's, it's so good. But now I'm, now I'm hungry. <laughs> So am I. And I'll tell you what, I love deep fried pike and, and just about any species, right? It's all good when you put it in the fryer and you do it right. I love pickled pike. When it comes to pickling fish, I just have a, a special place for a, a slab of pickled pike with an onion on a cracker with a nice adult beverage and just kind of an end of the day thing while you're waiting for that fish to fry. That's, that's my perfect scenario. I, I've never actually experienced that, so I'm going to have to try it. I really will. You'll like it. If you like any other kind of pickled fish, 
Um, pike is right up there. In fact, I think it's I think it's better than pickled herring and some of the other store bought stuff. Uh, it has a little more of a a firmness to it, and it's sort of the way you described it, it, it stays together. And and to me, that really adds to the whole texture and and flavor and experience. Totally, that firmness. That's the word I was looking for. Awesome. Well, I guess just maybe a couple quick questions before we let you go and wrap things up. Uh, what's your uh, PB Pike uh, open water and through the ice? My my PB Pike for open water myself is 47 inches. I've guided up to 51 inches. I've had some giant pike in my hands, and then op- and then during through the ice would be a 46 incher. Open water, 47 incher through the ice, a 46 incher. So some definitely some big ones. I've I've it's. It's weird to say it, but when I count back over the 18, 20 years of guiding, I've probably picked up over 3,500 pike over 40 inches. So I've had a few of them in my hands, but every time you get above that 45 inches, it's just a whole another caliber of fish. That's incredible. Um, I know you mentioned guiding up on Williston Lake. Uh, Favorite body of water to fish for pike? Open water for sure. It would be Williston Lake. Uh, Through the ice, uh, Northern Manitoba, there's a few bodies waters up there, Reed Lake, Athapapascal, Lake of the Prairies, Crooked Lake, Fort Capel Chain, Last Mountain, Tobin Lake. There's so many. I can't name one, honestly, one like favorite body of water for sure. I'm I'm starting now with now the whole not being able to guide up north this last summer. I've been able to spend some time in these southern lakes doing some pike fishing. I think people don't realize how good the pike fishing actually is down here in the Southern waters. And I did some amazing fishing last year and look forward to doing more this year. If the borders don't open, don't get me wrong. I want to go back up to guiding if I can, but if the borders don't open, I look to try and some more of these Southern bodies of water for sure. Yeah, that's great information. And I think for anybody, you know, don't overlook pike. It's a great species to target, whether it's in the wintertime, summertime, they put up a fight. Um, you know, it's just something that's going to give you that extra tug, like you said, on the line and, and make you put a big smile on your face when you get it in the net or get it in the hole. Um, Clayton, I really want to thank you. Kyle, any last thoughts before we let Clayton go for the night? I'm not just hungry. I want to go fishing again. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I just want to say, please, Please keep in mind that anything I say is still only an opinion. I'm not an expert. There's lots of ways to do things. Something just because I said doesn't mean, well, Clayton said this is how you have to do it, or this is the right way, or this is the only way. These are only opinions and theories that I've kind of put together over the last 18, 20 years of pike fishing. You've, you've logged a lot of hours. You've held a lot of those big fish. And so, so that opinion and, and that experience carries a lot of weight and, um, it's, it's valuable to our listeners. And I think we can all take, you know, bits and pieces of what you shared today on the podcast and use that as we go out, whether it's in a lake, you know, in our backyard or whether it's uh, making a trip once the border opens to, to fish with you up there on Williston Lake Lodge um, or any place in between, you know, that's, that's where the really the fun happens is when we're out creating memories with what we've learned. Totally. I just, that's like every time I get off the water, I'm always looking forward to that next adventure to get out there again, for sure. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Clayton. If anybody has any questions, best way for them to get a hold of you and pick your brain. Uh, Clayton Schick Outdoors on YouTube is easily the best way to find me. Uh, I'm on Instagram and Facebook too at Clayton Schick Outdoors. You can totally send me a message on there. 
I just have a really tough time of keeping up with any with everything. So if I don't get back to you, please don't think that I'm snubbing you or ignoring your questions. It's just so hard to keep up with with things like that. But YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram, Clayton Schick Outdoors is easily the best way to find me. Perfect. Thanks again, Clayton. And for our listeners, stick around. We'll be back with our next segment in just a short break. Welcome back to Shack Talk. Kyle Agri and Anthony Kleinwalker here. We're jumping into our third segment of the podcast. And this, of course, as it's been all season, is the social fish dancing segment. We are talking Shack Talk. We're talking just talking fishing, really, without any specific topics in mind, just to kind of where it where it takes us. And we are very excited this segment to welcome someone that I think you're all going to recognize, uh, Mr. Giannis Patelis, content producer for Meat Eater. If you have not seen this guy on television, on social media, listen to him on the podcast. Um, You might have been hiding under a rock because this guy is everywhere and they are doing some really fantastic, I want to say promoting of the outdoors because that's really what it is. It's such a realistic promotion and, and depiction of what we all love in the outdoors. Giannis, welcome to Shack Talk. Thank you, Kyle, and I appreciate the generous uh, introduction there. It's uh, yeah, more than I could ever hope for. Well, but truly, I mean, in, in all honesty, you guys have have just done a, a spectacular job of, I really think, kind of turning the corner when it comes to outdoor media and bringing it closer to home with what so many of us relate to our outdoor experience. You know, it's the thrill, it's the excitement, it's the, it's the like the old adage on ABC sports, right? The ag- agony of defeat. It's the, it's the real life experiences of it. And that's what I love so much. Well, thanks. It's always interesting to me when people say that, because I guess when I know when Steve set out to start making meat eater, and then when I joined him and, and making other content, it never seemed like we were trying to turn some court of kind of corner. We were just like making content as we saw fit. And then, to hear all these people say that often, I, I just wonder like how on earth did it get out there so far somewhere where it was so unrelatable to people that all they say is, wow, well, your stuff is so relatable. You know, we love it. Well, it's true. Yeah. It's true. And, and you, that brings up a really good point because it kind of, obviously it was driven to, to that point where it was all about the trophy status or it was all about, you know, the elite of the sport. And truly that's, for 99.99% of us, that's not what we experience. We're experiencing, as we're walking alongside you guys out there on your adventures, that's relatable to what we're doing. So, uh, yeah, relatable. That's that's the perfect term. What uh, I got to, you did this last year. You did you did the, because we're ice fishing podcast here, right? So you, you were in the Fur Hat Ice Tour. That was an awesome cross-section of different ice fishing experiences. We'll have to talk about a couple of the different ones specifically, but just give us kind of your overall thought on your first dive into that ice fishing media. Sure. Um, I got to say, you know, it was a, it was a blast to make it. Um, It was just so much fun to meet uh, all the, you know, the people that we got to interact with, but I really do have to give a, you know, a huge shout out to Miles Nolte, who's our fishing director over at Meat Eater. And he, produced the whole thing and put it all together 
and arranged all the interviews that I got to participate in and, and all the activities I got to participate in. And, you know, without all that hard work on the front end and then him guide me through all of it when we were on location, um, it just wouldn't have been the same thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I'm trying to think, man, it was a year ago now, so it's not exactly fresh in my mind, but we did, I think, uh, two different trips and each time we did two episodes. So we had like a sturgeon spearing, um, and then, which we ended up getting two episodes out of. And then on that same trip, we also went up to, uh, Green Bay and caught the whitefish, um, with, uh, JJ Malvitz's outfit up there. And then, uh, on a separate trip, we were in Minnesota and hooked up with Mandy Uric. Is it Uric or Ul Ulric? I always forget. Is there an L in there? Uric. Uric. Yeah. Sorry, Mandy. Um, and then we also, uh, what was the other trip that we did on that one? We, no. uh, oh, Pike spearing and whitefish. Spearing. That's right. With yeah. Mark and, um, and, uh, speared pike and whitefish. And, uh, yeah, it was awesome. Like my experience of, for ice fishing up until that point, like if I had one memory I can tell you about, I remember that one weekend, my dad drug us kids out. He probably had us for the weekend and there was a, a Latvian ice fishing tournament on some small lake in Southwest Michigan. And it was early season and we went out there and the ice started cracking, getting loose. And I don't know if we accessed from the wrong point or what, cause I remember there was plenty of other people out there. But anyways, my dad went, it went through and, uh, we all got like, he, it was probably only waist deep and, uh, the kids kind of were spread out and didn't go through. Um, but that was like my only ice fishing <laughs> experience until now when I went out there and did it, you know, as a, as a 40 year old. So, um, I mean, Steve might've taken me out once or twice since, since he moved to Bozeman, but, uh, I definitely just wasn't like a, a diehard and, and wasn't that into it. And, and not that I don't like it. It's just lack of exposure. You know, um, the more I've done it, the more I dig it. What a memory to be burned into your mind as a kid to be taken out on the ice and have that happen. And I mean, I trust everybody was okay and whatnot, but just, just thinking about that as your childhood ice experience probably isn't what a lot of us have uh, thought about when we think about our younger years. No, totally. My dad just wasn't really ever an angler. He he was a hunter and uh it's weird it almost like skipped a generation cuz his dad was a was, was a big angler. But um he just, you know, never got into it. I mean, he's probably caught less than two dozen fish in his life and um just doesn't really uh, you know, get tickle his fancy. But uh yeah, so I don't know, out of the fur hat ice fishing tour, um Man, it's hard. It's a hard choice between the spearing of the sturgeon. Um, because like, until you go experience that, you just have no idea like what goes into it. You know what I mean? And even though you're staring into a hole for, you know, days on end without seeing anything, there's just something exciting about it. And luckily I think now the season's like 7am to 1pm. So what is that? Six hours. You only yep. got to focus for six hours and then you get to go to the supper club and have cocktails, you know? <laughs> so that works out pretty nicely. It's not a bad gig. Um, but up there in green Bay, look, everybody loves catching fish, you know, in both days, Pat and I were limited, which is 10 whitefish by like noon. Um, you know, we we're limited and then we would decide to have lunch and, uh, there's nothing better than just to be pulling whatever those were, you know, two or three pounders, pretty much one after another, you know, you got a big smile on your face the whole time. 
So, uh, yeah, man, uh, I, I dug it. Um, this winter, though, gosh, we went out for Steve's birthday. I brought him a bottle of root beer schnapps because he had once told me a story that when he turned 21, somebody had given him a bottle. So um, I brought him a little bottle of nostalgia. Um, and uh, it was slow, though. It was slow perch fishing. And then, uh, well, I was telling you guys before we started, we went out uh, just this past weekend squirrel hunting in eastern Montana. And uh, it was terrible. And so we decided to pivot on Sunday and went to a local reservoir and uh, probably caught, I don't know, there was a bunch of people there. And I know that without heart, trying too hard, I probably caught a dozen. And I know that my daughter that was actually trying caught close to 20. Um, and uh, we ended up spearing a few pike too. So it just like, super fun you know a lot my daughter even got to throw the spear once that we had you know so many pike cruising through so that's uh, cool and what a great way to put a cherry on the end of the ice season oh man totally totally and uh i always forget too i can't say i forget because i've actually been lamenting the lack of fish in my freezer this year and been saying i should go fishing more to fix that problem but we just decided to have a fish fry sunday night and we did uh the pike first and um it was great we were all loving it and then we said said you know just for like a side-by-side -side comparison let's do up a dozen of these perch too and man the pike was great but that uh yellow perch is just something else it really is it's quite the delicacy a nice little uh filet it's almost you know get that potato chip that nice crunch to it uh there's something about that light crispy filet of a perch to to really satisfy a guy Mm -hmm. yep. as you look at the the you know the fishing you talked a little bit about that and the spearing I mean as a hunter um, somebody that's really into hunting I can really see the aspect of spearing that would be intriguing enjoyable because it is you're you're waiting for that payoff much like you do when you're hunting big game or different things and fishing you know it can be slow but when you get into those fish it's obviously pretty rewarding do you find yourself being drawn to one versus the other or enjoy both of them equally. And, and you're asking between the standard fishing to the spearing. Yeah. Well, that's a tough one. I, I mean, I really just haven't done the spearing enough to say, I mean, I've maybe spent whatever, four or five days in a shack now. Uh, but I, and, and they're just different, you know, and I, and I like them both. Uh, but there's definitely something special when you've been waiting an hour and it's been dead and you maybe saw a couple perch swim through the hole or whatever. And then all of a sudden there's like a two foot fish, like with your decoy in its mouth, you know, and you're just like, Holy shit. You know, like, Where'd that come from? Yeah, like, that's exciting. You know, and he's just sitting there chewing on it. He or she. Um, but, uh, you know, you're kind of limited, I guess, with the spearing. You know, I'm always, especially with fishing these days, to give you guys a little background, I guided trout fishermen for over a decade in Colorado. And so, like, just catching trout on flies just doesn't get me that excited anymore. And, and eating those trout, it's like, they're not, they're all right, but there's a lot of other fish I'd rather eat, you know? And so, when I am fishing now, I'm constantly thinking about, like, okay, if I have an option, like what's going to be my best yield, you know, <laughs> cause I want to make sure I got a couple of fish fries in my future. Uh, so again, that's where like the standard angling comes in, you know, uh, 
And uh, we happened to hit it right, you know, this past weekend and, and did really well. And I've got, you know, at least enough for a couple of fish fries stacked up. So, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm to the point, I, I'm at the point now where I'm still more of like in the pack and kind of following along with others when it comes to going ice fishing. Like if you're just to throw me out on a, on a chunk of frozen water, um, it's going to be hard for me. Yeah. I mean, I could read some maps and maybe make some educated guesses, but uh, I mean, half the time when I look at the Vexlar, I still don't know exactly what I'm looking at, you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, it, sorry, I can't, it's like a roundabout way of not answering your question there, Anthony. But uh, yeah, for me, it's all a new experience. And um, if that's, that's one thing that I kind of try to keep in mind always is like, go and do new stuff, try new stuff. Um, it seems like it always pays off, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, And I think that's really relatable. Um, we've talked a lot about it this season with a lot of people getting into fishing and getting into hunting due to the pandemic and the, yeah. the limited opportunities that people have had. And I know I get asked that question a lot. Do I enjoy hunting more or fishing more? And it, it's such a different perspective. I mean, hunting, there's a lot more, seems like a lot more preparation, a lot more goes into it to try and get that payoff. Whereas fishing, yeah, it can be slow, but oftentimes it's, you know, pretty steady action. You're going to catch some fish and maybe not as much work goes into it. So I can really understand that. And I think a lot of our listeners that are probably like yourself, maybe just getting into fishing or, you know, maybe tried it out for the first time this winter could definitely relate to that. And I'm sure they can appreciate some of the struggles, like you said, like not even, exactly knowing what you're looking at on the sonar or a flasher. And so I think that's a, a really good kind of eye-opening perspective for the people listening. Oh yeah, man. Like I can, I can remember, like, I'll never forget it. Mandy was just, I don't want to say she was crushing it because the fishing was slow, but she had still caught like five walleye before, you know, I had even had a bite and I'm watching her hand and watching her rod and watching her rod tip. And I checked her bait. She's fishing the same bait that I am. And like, like seemingly there was nothing different, you know, about the two presentations, but uh, obviously there, there was, you know, and um, you know, I guess it's those nuances, you know, that makes it exciting. It makes you want to come back and, and, and try to figure it out. And, you know, nobody should ever give up. Yeah. Cause even someone that's a, you know, lifelong outdoors person like myself, uh, there's plenty of stuff in the outdoors that I struggle with, you know. That's about the continual passion to to learn and cross that next bridge, you know, and 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 find the next uh, challenge ahead of us. That's really what keeps us going. And I just so early on in the podcast, I think it might have been even the first season of Shack Talk, we interviewed a, a guide from Winnebago, a local guide that that both Anthony and I know, uh, Troy Peterson, Mister Bluegill, and we talked a little bit about the the spearing the sturgeon spearing he likened it to laying in a fireplace looking up the chimney with a shotgun trying to shoot a duck as it flies by now is that an accurate description of what he's talking about or i'm um, intrigued oh so have you guys not done it i've not done it no oh man you gotta go do it uh that's like um i think we had heard that too someone else had used that analogy uh you're confining yourself a little bit there with that. It doesn't happen quite as fast as it would be if a dove flew over the top of a chimney and you're in the, the, in the fireplace trying to shoot it. Um, 
And again, you've got the decoy. And I think in general, just from the little bit that I saw and the little bit that I heard about, these fish aren't coming through there at mock speed. You know, they're coming through either feeding on the bottom or they're coming in to check out your decoy. Um, I got to throw actually on the first day. And when we saw the fish, you know, in the, on the camera, we had plenty of time to stand up, grab the spear, you know, place our spears where we thought we'd throw. Cause both, both of us threw, and uh, you know, the fish was still in front of the camera and we threw and somehow we managed to corral the fish with our spears and not get a tine in it. Uh, so yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's like qu quite going to happen that fast. Like you, like you, you've got a moment to think about it and, and um, you know, get your composure and, and uh, make a good throw. Um, although we did hear a story about a guy that, and again, this might've been just cause he just wasn't looking at the camera in the moment, but when he looked at the camera, all he saw was the tail leaving the frame. And so he figured that it was going literally underneath him. And so he took that spear and kind of chucked it like between his legs and like out behind the shack and just caught, you know, like maybe six inches in front of the tail um, got one time in that fish. So I guess in his case, it happened fast and, you know, he made a throw and, and, and it worked out. Uh, but I don't know, for the most part, it seemed like, you know, the guys were getting like, you know, time to make a good shot, you know, kind of like when you hear those first rustling leaves coming down the trail, right? I mean, you, you've got, you've got time, but you, you need to make your move decisively. Yeah, totally, totally. And everybody's, I don't know about everybody, but depending on the year too, uh, the, a big difference I heard, I guess this year the water was clear down to like maybe 10 feet or something like that. And the year I was there, we lost it at like seven or eight. And the guy that was taking us really wanted to be fishing deeper because he had found a uh, good worm bed. And uh, so we really couldn't even see the bottom, whatever, two or three feet. And we were just relying on our cameras to do the work. And so, you know, you're kind of fishing even in a narrower window, just what that camera gives you where when the water's clear, you know, I mean, it's just like when we were pike spearing this last weekend, like sometimes you can see that pike coming in. If you, if you're looking and not, not looking at the ceiling of the Eskimo because you're drinking your beer, um, you know, you can see that pipe coming in underneath someone's butt that's, you know, that's facing you. And again, you got plenty of time. I'm always surprised that those buggers like aren't aware of you from up above, you know, I mean, they will spook eventually, but the fact that you can actually like grab your spear and slowly, slowly lower into the water and then drop it or throw it. Um, it surprises me that you can get away with that much, you know, before, before they spook on you. They're big animals, and obviously they're not. I mean, sturgeon live what hundred plus years. Uh, these aren't just spring chickens here either, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, they got a, they got a lot of experiences. I found that to be just an incredibly intriguing episode or two episodes. The decoys, the social aspect of it, um, just just how different it is from our standard ice fishing and and a unique experience. I, I really thought that was a great episode. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, like I said, everybody that we got to work with was just such a pleasure and we had such a blast and, uh, even coming from the Midwest, I guess I had never really socialized that much in Wisconsin and Minnesota. And, um, 
my wife's from the South, so I get to spend plenty of time down South. And man, I think that Wisconsin and Minnesota would really give those Southerners a run for their money and, and just general hospitality. Um, Cause everybody just invited us in and took care of us and helped us out, you know, whatever it was and with a smile on their face. Usually good people everywhere. Aren't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a lot can be said for the, the outdoor community in the Midwest. I mean, if you're kind of a like-minded person and you're uh, come into it with a open, open attitude and kind demeanor, most of the time we're more than willing to help you out, you know, lend a helping hand, offer you to borrow some equipment. If yours is broken. Uh, I always, Kyle and myself always encourage people when you're out on the ice, don't be afraid to approach another angler, strike up a conversation you never know where it might lead. Some of the best conversations are on the ice or in the shack. Oh, it's so funny how all of us almost have like a, I want to say built in, but maybe it's not built in. Maybe it is something that we just learn through the years. But that day we were out for Steve's birthday. We saw an angler that was set up on a spot that one of the guys, uh, Chester, that was with us, um, he was sort of showing us around because he, he's been doing a lot of scouting on this lake. And this guy was set up on a point where he had marked it. And he was like, oh, man, like, should we, shouldn't we? Um, I don't want to bother him. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, come on, let's go. You know, what do we got to lose? Like, what's the worst going to happen? The guy's going to open the door and flip you off and we'll have a laugh about it. But, like, highly unlikely, right? And sure enough, like you said, we go over there and the guy's total chatty Kathy. And, you know, we picked up some info about how his morning had been and, you know, made a new friend. And, uh, yeah, it seems like when you make the effort, man, it always goes that direction versus, uh, you know, something negatively. No matter what time of the year it is, if you're heading out on the ice, if you're, you're on the way to the boat ramp, stopping at that local bait shop is kind of the same scenario, right? Just the Intel you can, you can pick up from those guys and gals that are there. And I mean, that's, that's kind of a staple. I know Anthony and I will both no matter where we're traveling, we're going to hit that local bait store, get the local intel, and and figure out what's going on from there. Yeah, and the other one that I too often forget about is just calling the local biologist. Like par- part of their job, you know, is that communication aspect, uh, you know, to communicate information to the public about what they do. And um, man, you know, it's I find you. You get, you seem like you get more, maybe wardens get asked more and that's why they say no more. Uh, but it seems like the biologists are usually pretty open with sharing some information. They maybe don't get asked all that often. I think they're, they, they, they love the opportunity to share what they know. And, and you're right. They're a fantastic resource. So just looking at this past year, Giannis and, and where we're at with, even you know with what you're doing, the the content producing and and being able to go out and of course nobody said we can't go enjoy the outdoors, fishing or hunting, but but when you're trying to put together a a podcast or a, a TV program or a you know a, a series, what kind of challenges did you run across here with the pandemic and kind of this last 12, 13 months of chaos that we've been through? Yeah, <clears throat> you know it was mostly. We still got probably almost the same amount of content produced as we would have outside of um, the pandemic. Uh, 
the the main challenge uh, we had a lot of challenges with um exposures and then quarantines that followed that and it would just wreck a shoot you know and you'd have to just reschedule the whole thing and then you know when you do that then something else has to get you know bumped and rescheduled and it just kind of you know it has a domino effect um <laughs> so it was like a blessing in disguise and i'm glad that you know nobody as of yet has any real like lingering effects but like we had some, you know, COVID that came through, you know, our employees and in a way it was like beneficial. Cause then we, we almost started building like a herd immunity within our little, you know, crew. And so you kind of knew, well, if I take these four people on my next shoot, like chances are they're not going to test positive and we're going to get to go. <laughs> you know, um, But uh yeah, I'd say that was mostly it. I mean, we just started doing a lot of testing um, and often and just, you know, people did their part and to because they wanted to work and, you know, didn't go to big parties and, uh, you know, wore a mask whenever possible. And, and you know, it seemed like it worked and it, it, it really wasn't you know, all that bad, you know, like I said, I think Steve was almost took the brunt of it because I think he was quarantined like three different times and, um, it, it would just crush him, you know, cause he'd just be, you know, at home, couldn't do anything for 10 days or whatever it was, you know, and he didn't even have it. It was just because he had, you know, been exposed to someone that had it or whatever. Um, but otherwise, you know, I mean, we, we definitely canceled trips last spring, like my Turkey season, just, you know, just had a huge hole shot through it um, because nobody knew at that point, you know, what you could, could and couldn't do. Um, but once summer rolled around, you know, we started traveling again and uh, you know, it seemed like the travel at least for a bit. Now it seems like it's kind of loosening up a little bit for, but for the most part of the last year, it was really tight, you know, and, and there weren't a lot of people doing it. So it didn't seem when you went to the airport, you didn't seem like you were being exposed to all these people because there just weren't that many people there. Everybody's masked up, you know, we're just walking around, you know, with basically a shampoo bottle of, of uh, uh, hand, hand cleanser, you know, but just, you know, shooting everybody all the time. So uh, yeah, you know, it, it, it really wasn't too bad. I mean, there's, it'll be nice to go back to normal, but um, you know, we, uh, we adapted and, and have been making it happen. Yeah, it's been a challenge for everybody. And I think we're all blessed to be able to work in the outdoor industry, the outdoor media, because of all of the different, you know, professions. And I think we were probably affected the least just in terms of, like I said, nobody ever told anybody you can't go out and go fishing. And we said you can't yeah. go hunting and we were encouraged to do it. Yeah. I mean, there was a little bit of that. I know like Nebraska shut down turkey season to non-residents last year and there was some of that, but I think there was just as many states that were offering like free fishing licenses and, and, and stuff, right? Like there was at least a dozen states that were like, yes, please get out of your house, get outside. It'll be good for you. You know, go fishing, go, go camping, go hiking, whatever. Just, uh, yeah. Don't get within six feet of anybody, but go, go enjoy the outdoors. Yeah. It's, it's pretty socially. easy to do, but I mean, I, I do know that our natural resources, like, took a, I don't want to say they took a beating, but they definitely took pressure that they, that maybe a lot of places have never seen before. Um, and I haven't seen any numbers that can speak to that. This is more just speaking, uh, you know, 
coincidentally through, you know, people that I know that say a guy, a guy I know, like, like manages fishing access sites here in Montana. And he just said the, the use was just through the roof, you know? And I think that that's, you know, it's going to be a wake up call because that might not happen every year, but that might only like that sort of constant use might only be 10 years down the line. And we probably need to start planning for that. That's a good point. What, what's, I mean, what's your feeling? You think a lot of these people that are new to the sports in the outdoors, the hunting, fishing, any outdoor sports, do you, do you feel like they're going to stick with it? Are we going to lose some of it when uh, sporting events, concerts and so on open back up or. Man. Um, yeah, I'm sure there, there'll be some attrition, no, no doubt. Cause people will get back to like all that stuff that they enjoyed doing that they weren't able to do the last year. Um, but I, and I'm sure that some of the people are just going to, you know, they, they fell in love with it probably in the last year and they're going to keep after it. Um, so, you know, it's, it's good and bad. You know, I, I like to see more participation, but it's, uh, you know, more numbers just equals more pressure on our resources. You know, I certainly think that we are lucky enough to be really living in, in like a golden age of like, we can kind of do almost anything we want outdoors as much as we want. There's very little restrictions. Um, you know, bag limits. I know that some people will argue and say, well, no, I can only kill one Turkey in my state or whatever. But for the most part, like, lot of game to be had across our country and you know even if like the percentage of hunters doesn't increase just the and it stays the same there's more people so there's going to be more hunters and it's going to be more taxing on uh you know the habitat and the wildlife and i wouldn't be surprised if certainly in my kids day there's going to be a time when something that i took for you know granted like just going down to the local trailhead and going for a hike that that might have to have some sort of application process or permit or, you know, whatever reservation system. I don't know what it is. Cause, but I mean, you guys, where you live too, it's going to happen on lakes where there comes a time when it's just like, you know what, too many people on the lake at once. And we're going to have to figure out how we, you know, divvy up the time on the resource. Time on the resource is an interesting perspective. What's your thought on the fact that, you know, this, this generation now, like our kids, right? They've just been raised in a, in an environment where conservation, um, selective harvest, right? So, so it's okay to, to get some of your sustenance from wild game and, and fish, but there's this mindset of conservation that wasn't there. I don't think to the same extent when, when maybe our parents were growing up, right? More, more than it was, I mean, if you caught a fish, you're crazy to throw it back. You're going to keep that and you're going to eat it. I don't care sure. about what happens to the fishery. That, that's got to have an influence, I think, on the future too, don't you? Yeah, yeah. And, and hopefully that just makes for informed, you know, the, the next generation of hunters and anglers being informed and, and being able to make good decisions, you know, at the, uh, you know, at the old ballot box. Um and hopefully we can have more people communicating to the non-hunters and fishermen and help them make good decisions for us too, because, you know, that's what worries me the most is like, we don't always get to make our own decisions about how that stuff's going to get managed. And, um, you know, how they say it's like ballot box biology. It's, uh, 
it's not what the state fish and game agencies want. Um, but, uh, it's just the way the system's set up. So, um, I don't know. I feel like I, I do my part to, uh, to try to educate, you know, plenty of people out there that aren't really, uh, consumptive users of the outdoors, you know, they're more participant or just, um, what do I want to say? Uh, observers. Yeah. You know, they go out there and just, you know, hike and look and, and watch and backpack. Um, but even then, you know, th- th- those folks too, uh, you know, they have an impact on, on, on the whole kit and caboodle as well. So it's a lot to think about, but I mean, back, back to your point, Kyle, I, I think for, for sure, like we talked to our kids about maybe not exactly conservation, but certainly conservation minded themes a lot, you know, and, and why we do certain things and why the systems are in place at the way they are. And, um, it's something that I was not exposed to as a kid. Well, and you talked about being in the golden age of opportunity. I think we're in the golden age of education and information and being able to research and get the information that you need. You talked about education. I know that's kind of the biggest point that Kyle and I like to make is, you know, we're having a conversation. We're trying to educate both Kyle and myself learn from every conversation that we have. And it just creates a uniformed perspective on, you know, how things are being done, being managed and utilized in the outdoors. And I think that's just the key is having those conversations. You don't necessarily have to agree with me, but I want to explain my perspective. And I think is the more that we can agree on things and have that open conversation and just educate the future generation, the new anglers, the new hunters out there. I think that's why we get to do what we do. I mean, I, I'm, I would assume you agree that that's the reason that people consume our content and why we continue to enjoy to put it out. No, you, you hit the nail on the head. Kyle, anything that you wanted to wrap up before we kind of tail things off here? I know I wanted to remind everyone, if you haven't, um, you know, make sure to get out and check out the Fur Hat Ice Tour. I know we talked a little bit about it at the beginning of our segment here, but I know I really enjoyed watching it um, as someone that consumes outdoor content on a daily basis. I really enjoyed it and look forward to the next episode. So if you're listening and you haven't go check that out from the guys over at meat eater, I enjoy listening to the podcast. I like watching all the episodes um, that you guys put out. So that's my uh, shameless plug for you guys over there. Giannis. I really do appreciate the content you guys do um, over there Um, for any of our listeners that, you know, maybe have, questions or look for information or anything like that. What's the best way for them to get that information from, from you or your team? Uh, probably just to go to the meat eater website, which is <clears throat> the meat eater.com. Uh, not just the meat eater. I'm sure if you, uh, you know, Google search just meat eater, uh, you'll still get to the same place, but that's the place where, you know, just about everything is, is aggregated and you can, you know, get yourself into all kinds of, uh, you know, wor- wormholes, uh, rabbit holes, sorry, uh, through that website. Um, and obviously you can find all of us, uh, on Instagram and, uh, Facebook as well. Um, but yeah. Um, and then if you want to, you can go directly just to our YouTube channel. Um, if you want to find, uh, you know, go directly to the fur hat ice fishing tour, and, uh, yeah, just to, to continue on the shameless plug, uh, we just started dropping the new Cal's Week in Review episodes and the one that came out today. 
which is St. Patty's Day, I guess. Uh, Cal uh, gets to work with a, uh, a grizzly bear that they trap in Idaho. And it's, uh, you know, really cool to, to see Cal up and close personal with that animal. Um, so, yeah, check those out. And then I'll have another uh, six episodes of uh, the Meat Eater Hunt series coming out, uh, I believe, the 1st of May. And again, Meteor YouTube or the uh, Meteor website. Trust me, folks, awesome. if you're listening to this podcast and you have not watched any of the Meat Eater content, start, but make sure you've got a little bit of time ahead of you because you're not going to want to stop. Uh, make sure you've got uh, plenty of time. You'll be binge watching that stuff for days. It's good. It's good. And I was going to just throw into one of my favorites. I don't know when it came out, Giannis, but uh, the stars in the sky a hunting story. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal. I've watched that a half a dozen times. I, I could sit down and watch it again right now. It just kind of what we've been talking about, that whole concept of just the background of the outdoors and how it's it's in our blood and it's in our, our DNA as to who we are. Whether it's fishing, whether it's ice fishing, whether it's hunting of any kind, I mean, that's that stuff just runs so true. So uh, thanks for doing what you guys do uh, day in and day out. You're very welcome. It's it's my 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 pleasure. We have a uh, we have a blast doing it. Now I'm dropping the ball here, because uh, I can't remember if it's on Netflix now. If someone else wants to watch that uh, documentary, documentary. Did you where did you watch it last, Kyle? You remember? It's a good question. I don't know. I've got you both on YouTube and on Netflix on my smart TV. So. Okay, it's it's I'm seeing it now. It's it's on Netflix. It is okay. Yeah, it took a while to to get on there, but we uh, but we got it on there. And yeah, man, what a fun thing to make! And uh, I'm glad that we did it. A um, lot of different perspectives out there. A uh, lot of interesting ideas. And the how I pitched it to a lot of people for what what's a big reason I like still watching it now is like it gives you like a way of vocabulary to talk to uh, non-hunters about what we do, you know, because that sometimes can be a hard thing to to formulate and, and to put into words, but you can watch that. And at least for me, it was like, oh yeah, that's how I think about it. And that was a great way to explain it. And now I can take that and go out into the world and feel more confident, you know, when I'm, you know, trying to explain, you know, why hunting is a good thing to people. And I tell you what, of all the, of all, not just the, the, the meat heaters staff that were on that, that program, that, that documentary, but the gentleman who is the vegan. Yeah. I appreciated his perspectives on things. I might not have agreed with them, but for him to be there and explain and engage in a dialogue was super cool. Oh, man. I, I, I totally agree. And, and a lot of people wouldn't understand why you would have that perspective, you know, in a documentary that's, you know, pro hunting. But uh, again, it just, it, it allows you to, you know, look at it from a diff- different perspective and it'll allow you to sort of formulate your ideas better, you know, a- around that. But he makes some like really great points and he really makes you like kind of, you know, check yourself, at, at, you know, and think about, you know, if you have your ducks in a row when he starts talking about stuff. No, um, no, I, I really enjoyed him as well. Well done. It was it was great. I, I appreciated all of it. I appreciated the stories of the families that had the the land over the generations, and uh, 
and the standard, the buck that was on the, I mean, that was just a super cool story too. Uh, all of them. I could go on and on. It was great. Awesome. Well, Giannis, I really want to take time and just thank you again for joining Kyle and myself on the podcast. Uh, Another really great conversation with another awesome guest. We have had an awesome season on the Shack Talk and, you know, to have you join us is a great honor to be able to talk with you, talk about the Fur Hat Ice Tour and uh, really hope that we get to talk to you again. Hey, it was a pleasure to be on and any, any time you guys invite me, I'll I'll make it a, make it a point to come, come back and do it again. It was a, a fun conversation. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Giannis. Yep. Well, as we wrap up our final episode here, we just want to thank everybody for joining us this season. It's been a been a crazy year i know myself kyle we've been running around this ice belt and trying to deal with mother nature everything that she has to throw at us it's been a little bit crazy kyle any last thoughts as we kind of wrap things up for the year you know what anthony it's been a fantastic season i have just had a great time sitting here behind the mic almost as much fun as i've had out on the ice fishing and chasing those fish uh you know, you, Mother Nature's throwing her best curveballs at us, but so has this virus. And I just hope by next first ice, uh, we've got all this behind us and we can jump right in with both feet. It's been a good year. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing that I've taken away from the season is that, you know, people are still ice fishing. People are still getting out. You know, Mother Nature, this virus, that can throw whatever it wants at us. And we're pretty resilient as outdoors people we're going to get out there and have fun regardless of what's going on and it's been fun sharing stories and you know talking to and even getting to meet some new people this season any uh favorite takeaways from the season that you've had so far gosh anthony you know what it's just been fun i felt like uh you and i last year we had a great time but we were just it almost took us the entire season to kind of hit our stride and this year i felt like we jumped right into it And the caliber of guests, the people we had on this season was second to none. I have learned an incredible amount just being here listening and talking and visiting with some of these folks we've had on. It has been a great season. I think back to uh, Tim Humphreys talking about Burbit, you know, and I can think of all of our guests and they all have something that comes to mind that I took away. But but him, it led to, to me actually going out for the first time targeting those fish ever. And and I learned a lot from what he shared, and it really helped find success when I was out on the ice. So, you know, between him and all the others, it was just um, all around it in a, uh, an enjoyable and an educational season. Absolutely. I think there's probably times where both of us, we'd be listening to one of our guests and kind of almost just got lost in the conversation. We're sitting there listening. It's like, oh yeah, we should probably keep asking some questions, keep the conversation rolling. I know all the different guests that we had, we got to you know meet some new friends from up in Canada. Um, I know you took away from the segment we had with Josh McFadden, a little bit of a bourbon lobster roll or poor man's lobster roll. I'm looking forward to still trying that one. And it was just fun talking about all the different species. I think that was a, you know, a focus of ours this season was to highlight some of the different species, dive into those and kind of really try and tear them apart. And I really enjoyed that. It was fun just learning from people that really specialize and focus on those species and 
being able to take something away. So I hope our guests and listeners are able to take something as well. Yeah. And Anthony, speaking of that, a huge thank you to all of our listeners. You know, we couldn't, we couldn't do what we're doing. Well, we could, but it wouldn't go anywhere if we didn't have people listening, right? It's the, it's the folks who tune into Shack Talk every time a new episode comes out. It's the folks that message us that say, I really like this segment, do some more of this, or have you ever thought about that? And keep that feedback coming, folks. I, we love it that you're listening. We love what, that you're enjoying what we're talking about. We love it that you are enjoying our guests, that you're learning stuff. Keep feeding us some ideas because we're going to use every single one of them at some point in time, sooner or later, over the next season. So uh, thanks again for all of the all the feedback and all the support. For sure, yeah. We enjoy everybody listening. Keep sharing uh, with people that maybe haven't heard about us yet. I know the, the podcast, there's tons of them out there, so many great podcasts to listen to, but we really appreciate everyone that tunes into our podcast. We want to thank Eskimo for you know, supporting us and allowing us to have a podcast and all the great guests that came on this season. And for all of you from Kyle, myself, we really want to just thank you. And until next time, you know, get out there, be safe, distance socially. Hopefully that'll be over soon and get out fishing.